everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. I am your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and this is your co-host, Kevin Toffel. And I am back from CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, and Kevin is still... Still. <laughs> still in Pennsylvania, dealing with the cold weather. Is it still 11 degrees? No, it's it's in the upper 20s today, but we did have some snow. Actually, I, th- I think it was like the first snow of the season for us. Ooh, and yeah. it's only mid-January. Yeah, usually we have some by now, but... Yeah, I don't know. I live in a place where when we get snow, we're like, whoo, shut everything down. <laughs> shut it all down. Oh, no, that does not happen here. Okay. Well, so we're going to start off the show. We've got a lot of goodies planned for you. We've got a CES wrap-up. Um, some final thoughts since last time we only recorded half the show. Or You were only out at CES for like the second day of a whole week when we recorded the last show. Exactly. So we'll get the rest of CES and we'll cover new bits and bobs for Amazon Echo. And we'll also talk about our guest who is Inder Singh, who is the CEO of Kinsa, the connected thermometer. Did you say he's interesting? Oh, Inder Singh. Oh, okay. I know. I'm no, having, that's a great name. It is a great name. He is also interesting. So it's it's like a double entendre. Gotcha. So Kinza, what is Kinza? It's a connected thermometer. I almost said thermostat, which it is not, unless Mm. it's a thermostat for the human body, which I guess it might be. No, it doesn't control the temperature. It just measures it. Okay. Uh, So it's going to be fascinating. When we did the interview, it was before Wythings actually announced their own connected thermometer (laughs) at CES. Um, But I'm sticking with Kinza because it is $60 to Wythings $100. And having seen both apps, I kind of like the Kinza myself. So Mm. there we have it. Let's kick it off with the rest of CES. What a title. Genius. So when you were not at Dueling Piano Bars, what did you see that we didn't talk about last week? We weren't going to talk about the Dueling Piano Bars. (laughs) You know I had to bring that up. You did. All right. So for you, Kevin, I met with the CEO of Wink, or actually he's not the CEO, the head of Wink. And I discovered some really exciting news for all the Wink Hub owners out there, which is local control is coming, starting with lights. And it will come sooner rather than later. So the next update for your Wink Hub should give you local control of your lights, which means lower Mm -hmm. latency. Not waiting so long. And I am loco for local because when the cloud is down, I don't want to have my smart devices not working. Exactly. And I'm hoping actually it will maybe take care of the boop, 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 boop. And that's boop, boop, boop sound is the sound of my lights going on. Lights going on in sequence. In sequence as opposed to all at once. Yeah. It's it's interesting. You have far more lights in your house connected than I do. The only, I only have one room where I have multiple lights and it's only two lights and they do come off boop, boop, but not, I don't have a whole string of them. So that's probably why it doesn't annoy me as much as it annoys you. I have, let's see, my entire kitchen is connected to my wink. Um, And you have how many lights in the kitchen? Six. So six boops. Six boops. Yeah. And Mm. it's kind of aggravating. All right. Um, now I understand that better now. Like I, now I, because I always wondered why does that bother you so much, but it never hit me. I don't have that many in a single room. And if I had a hallway and they booped in line with the hallway, that would Ooh, be different. Be then, like a runway. Be, exactly. That would be cool. <laughs> Follow the blinking lights this way, people. So the other thing I have from Wink is we talked a little bit about Flextronics, which now owns them. Mm, yes. And I'm more convinced than ever that that is a good thing. Um, so yay. And there are 1.2 million Wink qualified devices out there, which is actually a lot. That is not the number of hubs, which I could not get for the life of me. <laughs> Sadness. I'm sure you tried. I did. I did I'm try. I'm sure. 
I did everything short of sitting on the person, <laughs> which would be fun. No, it wouldn't. Not for any of us. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that probably would actually go on my permanent record. Rap sheet, uh, I believe that that's just called. Might. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, so 1.2 connected devices or devices connected to Wink Hubs. Is- yes. That's what we know about Wink. Um, so get excited. Soon, we'll mm-hmm. actually get details about, you know, updates to the platform, that sort of thing. I did, they were actually kind of excited about the bankruptcy in the sense that that stopped them from going ahead with plans last year to issue a new hub. Mm-hmm. And it actually kind of gave the market a little bit of time to, to mature around mm-hmm. new platforms, which for them might have been kind of a nice thing because I, I think so because you know you've got um you've got open platforms to begin with and you've got what Google's doing with Brillo and Weave and and the whole thread and next and I guess they if they want to do HomeKit they they've got that to consider. There's a lot that has happened since they put that first hub out. Yeah. Well and they were gonna put the second hub out like in May of last year. And since mm. May of last year, whew, HomeKit, yeah. Thread, all kinds of things have happened. So yep. Speaking of HomeKit, um, last year HomeKit was like the bell of the ball at CES. This year, not so much. Hmm. Um, we just didn't hear a lot about it. There were a couple HomeKit company or HomeKit devices. Lots of, you know, iDevices was out there with a huge booth, um, and they had products mm-hmm. uh, that were HomeKit supported. We're still waiting for more profiles from Apple. And that um, means certain devices still yet do not work with HomeKit. Right. So we've got mm. lights are supported. We've got, I believe, thermostats are supported. Mm-hmm. Locks are supported. I think even garage doors are supported. But we're still waiting for things like video cameras to be supported. And that just takes time. And so that's kind of what we're waiting. Oh, and more sensors. Mm. So that's what we're waiting for on HomeKit. I think Apple's taking their time for one thing, because I think they want to do this right. They focus so much on security that has slowed things up, in my opinion. But I also wonder, they started with the basics, you know, lights and, and maybe locks and thermostats. And I wonder how many people, mainstream people, that are starting to build out a smart home platform in their house actually consider video to be on at the top of the list. I know security is important from a homeowner standpoint. Security is the most important from a homeowner standpoint. Most people get into the smart home for security, believe it hmm. or not. Lights and home automation are actually like or actually energy saving mm. which lights as part of a secondary. That's from surveys from both Lowe's and Eye Control. Both of those match up for the reasons. Their their numbers are slightly off, but the number one reason is security. Number two is energy savings, like thermostats, mm-hmm. you know, and lighting control is kind of a distant second in energy savings. And then third is like automation and lighting and fun kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yes, I know I said lighting twice there, but there's That's okay. lighting like for lights. energy savings, lighting for fun. <laughs> yep. I'm strictly I, in the lighting for fun category. I just, and I get, I totally understand that what those uh, metrics actually show. I, I get it. I just... Sometimes I think when I talk when I talk to people, they're like video cameras in the house. That's just creepy. And Apple is kind of like tries to position themselves as the anti creepy to to Google and others. So and, there's video hmm. cameras in the house looking mm-hmm. at your family, and that is creepy, or I think that's creepy. But there's okay. also video cameras facing outdoors, facing yep. windows, mm-hmm. um, and doorbells, and mm-hmm. yeah, in doorbells or facing like your front foyer and hallway mm-hmm. that you know is a little less creepy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I get it, but I also see like a lot of the use cases that kind of tend to resonate with people are things like, "Hey, did my kid make it home?" Mm-hmm. You know, sure. You can do that with a, a little door sensor, but you could also do it with like a video camera, and then your kid could be like, "Hello, mom," mm-hmm. 
or like write you crazy notes throughout the day and be like, pop in front of the camera and be like, mom, can I have cookies? And you can be like, Ugh, child, I'm working. Why yeah. are you blowing up my phone with notifications with your demands for cookies? Maybe it's not the creepy factor that's held them back, but it's the security aspect of it because they want to ensure that nobody else has access to that video that you do not want them to have. Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I will say that Apple has done one thing well, and people have commented on it and were commenting on it at CES, which was getting devices and making it easy for people to get devices online. As people bring more stuff into the home, it is becoming more and more apparent that getting them online and typing in your Wi-Fi password, it's not a huge pain, but people are becoming- It's a more, chore. It's a chore. And people are like, wait a second. What if I change my SSID or my Wi-Fi network name? Mm -hmm. Crap. So public service announcement. If you want to change your Wi-Fi password or you have a really like what you feel is like a really awesome SSID, which is your Wi-Fi network name. And it's like, you know, a random string of numbers and letters. Mm -hmm. If you're going to bring a lot of connected devices into your home, you may want to change that right now to something yeah. before you bring in all these connected devices. Cause you're going to be like naming that a lot in your password is it's also going to be something you want to be able to type a bunch of times. Yep. Just name your network Linksys. Everything will be just fine. And your password should be <laughs> admin. No, <laughs> but, but do keep in mind that, you know, if you're going to be connecting a bunch of devices to your home, you're going to be typing that SSID in. and your password a lot. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that was our little PSA for the day. More acronyms. Oh, little scoop I heard. What's up? Amazon Echo support for thermostats is coming soon. Native support? Native support. So this Yay. isn't going to be a skill. This is going to be like right now the Echo supports lights and that's it in the smart home. Connected home, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Now it's going to support thermostats. Woo woo. Very cool. Very cool. I also heard in talking to some people mm -hmm. that... The original plan was to actually, along with lights, was to support like, you know, other settings, but it became, the syntax became too cumbersome. Mm. So they had to back off that for a little while. So, you know, like in Siri, how you can have scenes like dinner party lighting, mm -hmm. that was kind of the plan to have with Amazon too. But it just, the logistics around figuring out how to do that across so many different possible platforms. And with natural language processing. Is tough. Yeah. Yep. So, yep, yep, yep. but it's coming. Mm -hmm. We just don't know when on that. But thermostats soon and next. Woo -woo. Yes. Speaking of the Amazon Echo, and people don't realize this, we, you and I only talk pretty much on this show these days because we don't truly work together anymore from a writing perspective. But we wrote, I think, the exact identical story based on some news that came out this week. Just came out yesterday, in fact. Yeah, I bet my story was probably 200 words longer than yours, though, Kevin. I bet you it was 300 words longer. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, but we still wrote the same thing. And what we're talking about is the Amazon Echo may have a baby, is what I'm saying. There's reports. I think the journal, Wall Street Journal, was the first to note this, that it's expected that Amazon will release a smaller version, a port more portable version, and cheaper version of the Amazon Echo soon. I don't know what soon means, but that's what they're saying. I'm thinking a couple weeks. So it sounds like from their descriptions, it's like the size of a beer can. and Instead has, of like a Pringles can. Yes, exactly. Still a can. It has batteries inside, but will also have a docking station so you can recharge those batteries. One of the 
things that we observed, you and I both in our separate articles without talking to each other, is if you have it on battery power, we're hearing that you've got to press a button to be able to do your voice commands. And we're both like, well, that defeats the whole purpose. But the thought is, if it's sitting in the docking station in a different room, then okay, it's probably an always-on microphone. At least that's what I'm hoping. And why are we hoping that? Well, because we, otherwise we just use our phones or whatever. I mean, there's there's just exactly, no point. Exactly, because it takes the magic out of this. Yes. So yes. both Kevin and I see the value in having multiple echoes in the home, mm-hmm. um, especially if you want a, a smaller echo or basically a linked echo to the mama echo. So satellite <laughs> echoes as multiple in-room, like party mode for your speakers, because then you have... You know, you can play music around anywhere in your house. It would also be nice to be able to, you know, give commands, you know, that work throughout your house, right? But only if you can talk to it and you don't have to touch it. Because the magic of the Echo is that you don't touch anything. Otherwise, you know, I have a gajillion devices in my house that I can control via my smartphone or through some sort of tactile interface. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason I love the Echo is because... I don't have to use any of those things. I agree. And I can understand why they want to limit the always-on microphone when you're running on battery power. That's because you're going to chew through batteries pretty darn quick if it's always listening. So I get that. I'm just hoping that they have it always on, or at least an option, when it's plugged in. I can't see why not, right? There's no power constraint there. If it's plugged in, true. I mean, your phone has an always-on mode. The Mm. way Amazon's theoretically... Mm-hmm. And the way Amazon's always on listening works is it's always listening for the trigger word, the trigger word, which we will try not to say. Correct. And then it hears, you know, it, it starts, it wakes up and starts processing and sends those words that you said after the trigger word to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to sleep, essentially. Then it stops sending those words. There are processors that make light work of that kind of AI for listening to those words, Mm -hmm. listening for a trigger word. And those kind of processors are currently in a lot of next generation phones or current generation phones. Like which iPhone is it? It's the current gen iPhone. Right. You can, you don't need to be plugged in. You can just uh, speak to Siri and, and it'll just do what you need it to do. I think it's, I want to say it's only the larger of the two latest iPhones. Okay. There are processors. There's a Qualcomm processor. I'm assuming that there's a version of the A, oh, is it the A7 that's in the current iPhone? Mm, A9. A9? Yep. I'm like, what A are we yep. on? <laughs> Stacey doesn't upgrade her phones as often as Kevin. That's okay. It's okay. So that's not insurmountable. And that gives you, you know, whatever's three, four days worth of battery life. I, I'm not sure. It depends on how. No, no, it's still pretty much a day for most people. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Nuts. Okay, so you'd still have to charge it at night. That kills that theory dead. Yeah. Dead in the you water. Know, do you know what would solve this whole problem? If I've said it once, I've said it a dozen Wireless times. Power? No, just let the Amazon Echo app on your smartphone listen to your words and Bluetooth them over through to the speaker or up to the cloud. I mean, we all have a little remote in our hands. Not me. I don't carry my phone around the house. All right. All of us but Stacy have a little remote in our hands. <laughs> I think our survey said that like 30%. I know, I know. 20%. I know. It just seems silly to me to have that app sitting there and not be able to interact with it via voice. It does. You know? But whatever. I won't go there again. 
we'll let Amazon call you as be their product manager. All right. All right. So let's see if this is cheap enough, depending, we'll see when details come out, if we would buy, if we would buy such a thing. I have a feeling we will, no we matter probably what. probably will. And I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to cost 79 to eight to $99. That feels about right. Okay. And do you think that would compel people to buy this and put multiple ones in their house? I think it would. I have a Sonos already. I would rather see Sonos put, let me. Amazon voice services in there. Yeah, there should be. Isn't there the new Sonos? Aren't they supposed to have a microphone on them? Mm, I don't know. I haven't looked. I feel like that's, that's coming. So if that's the case, then I don't know if I would need this. But That's true. That's true. I would definitely buy one because I, I really want... I don't know if I've said this, but I really want an ele- uh, Echo in my bathroom. Um, yes, you have said this, and I shook my head last time, and I'm shaking it again, but go ahead. I, I, I want to hear music while I'm taking a shower, and I want to ask the time, and I want the uh, weather no, in the morning. I like the news. Honestly, at the end of the day, I want this everywhere in my house. Yeah, me too. Because I don't want to have to be in a specific room when I have a question or I want to know the time. That's the whole point of it. That's that invisible interface that permeates your smart home. I want it. I want it now. And I want it cheap. Exactly. All right. So darn it. <laughs> darn it we'll buy them. Just yes. give it to us. But preferably with always on voice access. Okay. So that is that. Let's see. Any other? Oh, I was going to say final CES thoughts. There are mm-hmm. two things worth mentioning. One. We geeked out over these tiny little moats, which are actually not new news. They were introduced maybe last year. I feel like I've been hearing about them for a while. But the University of Michigan has developed a technology called moats. They are eensy, teensy, tiny little chips. Like two millimeters across. Yes, they they like... I took a picture. I'll run it with the podcast if you see it. I mean, this fits on the tip of your finger, like probably like, I don't know, like 15 of them could fit on your finger. 10 of them. Um, I don't know about a finger, but they say like 150 could fit in a thimble. Well, who has thimbles nowadays? My God. Um, <laughs> I have a connected thimble. They're really tiny and mm-hmm. they have a radio. They have processing power. I mean, not a lot. And they no. have an itsy bitsy bitsy photovoltaic cell. And they have a pressure sensor, a temperature or a temperature sensor or a motion sensor. So you stick a MEMS, some processing power, a radio and self power on this thing. And it's a couple bucks is what I was told. This was at the arm booth by Ian Drew over at arm. And they last for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure what I could do with one of these. Honestly, um, the radio sends a signal like two meters, but they want to get it to 20 meters. But my God, I want them and I want to start seeing people play with them. Yeah, It's funny you say that because as we were talking about it before the show, it's like, I want these. But I don't know what I would do with them yet. It, but it doesn't matter. I just want them. Anytime you, know? you can make computing more self-sufficient, smaller, put it in like more places that were previously inaccessible, and mm-hmm. you can like get our information from it. I'm like, my God, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, they're talking about, you know, they were like, you could stick this in someone's eye and like measure blood pressure for glaucoma. Yes, mm-hmm. you would need a, you know, biomedical kind of coding for it. But that is not hard. Yeah. No, it might it's- be hard. I'm curious to see what people eventually do with these things. Yeah, you can't swallow them yet because, you know, they need solar power. Yeah, I forgot about that. I said that before the show. I said, I want to eat one just to, I don't know, measure something inside my body. And, well, no solar power there. So not going to work. It's so small, you could eat it. You could accidentally eat it and you wouldn't notice. Mm -hmm. So I was excited about that. So 
guys get excited. Tell us what you think you might be able to do with it. Cause I don't know, maybe the university of Michigan is going to listen to this and they'll be like, what a brilliant idea from some random person yeah. who listens to our podcast. Cause you guys are super smart for all I know. Y'all probably have like whole caches of these and you're like, Stacy, yeah. I already built this. Boring. Already had it. Already done. <laughs> all right. Final CES thought is on obsolescence. And we'll talk more about this mm -hmm. because it's worth talking about. But I was shocked at how little people were talking about obsolescence at the show. When mm -hmm. I think it's like a big freaking deal. You're sticking, like, I, I saw, you know, the Samsung refrigerator with the giant Android phone. And it's very large. It is. And refrigerators get a lot of heavy duty usage and they last for like eight or 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it felt really strange to me to stick what is essentially a giant computer on the face of it. In some ways it's super cool. Cause like, yeah, I want to be able to read my recipes on my refrigerator, except I'd rather have it like next to me on the counter or in front of me on the backsplash, but that's cool. And I love message boards and pictures and maybe a calendar that reminds me of things on the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. But I also am like, dang, we're throwing a, a lot away. Yeah, that is a terrible place for that. Because mm. we spill all kinds of crap on our refrigerator. Right now, I think there's like, I think there's some soup from like two nights ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get to it sometime to clean it, or maybe my <laughs> husband is, but you know. And what do you clean the computer with? Windex? Stainless steel refrigerator cleaner? I don't yeah. know. It's a tough call. I mean, we've already got so much e-waste, uh, you know, on this may not make the most sense to have these kind of integrations. And I don't think we, to your concern, I don't think we figured out how to really dispose of this stuff the right way, especially when we're adding more and more to these products. And then, yeah. And I mean, what if someone throws something in the kitchen and it cracks that screen? Got to replace your fridge. No. You don't have to replace it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I hope kidding. not. <laughs> no, no. Let's hope not. But then like, think about software updates and like, you oh, know, yeah. when we get to 5G radios, I mean, like, and you're, man, what if the application processor and that thing gets a little slow and you want to run the latest games? I mean, <laughs> you call someone out and they have to, like, replace the motherboard on that thing? I don't disagree with you. I'd rather see these things a little more modular in that, you know, just make a magnetic back on a on a application-specific tablet or something and, and let it stick up on there so you can just pull it down and replace that when needed. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about that. Know. Qualcomm did announce a modular thing for cars, a modular like electronics box for cars, basically, mm. which is kind of in that line of thinking, mm -hmm. which is good because I already want to replace the 3G radio in my Tesla for a 4G radio because 3G, whoa, it takes forever to load my maps. <laughs> and, you know, 5G is going to be here in 2017 if you believe Verizon and 2020 if you believe everyone else. Mm -hmm. So anyway, okay obsolescence. Keep thinking about it, guys, because I'm looking for solutions. And now, that feels like enough. Was that enough, Kevin? I think that was enough. Okay. So now we're going to talk to our guest about how we're going to stop the spread of disease by using connected thermometers. Hmm. It's going to be awesome. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is Stacey Higginbotham, and our guest this week is Inder Singh, who is the founder and CEO of Kinsa. And you guys may be wondering, my God, what is this? This is a connected thermometer. Oh my gosh, so fun. We're going to tell you all about it. So Inder, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Stacey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, I am super excited because 
connected thermometers are my jam (laughs) because I have a nine-year-old daughter who is constantly bringing home illness. So why? Why did you get this in your head that you're like, the world needs a connect? Yeah. So let's let's talk about the product first and and tell you about that. And then, so it sounds simple. Uh, It is. It's a smartphone connected thermometer and makes it easier to take a child's temperature. Um, It automatically stores it remembers for you, right? It automatically stores the results uh, for you and each member of your family. You can put in multiple different profiles. And so that way, when you go to the doctor and they ask you, how did you or your child's illness start and progress? There's no questions. You pull out your phone right then and there and show them. And beyond that, it sort of realizes the vision of what a consumer health product in the home always ought to have done, right? In my opinion, uh, a consumer health product in the home always ought to have not only comforted the user, but given you guidance about what to do next. And our product realizes that vision. So in the product, we have these rules that based on your fever and certain symptoms, we give you formal guidance. We tell you that if there's an absolute need to take your child to the doctor or talk to a doctor right away. And, you know, if a, if a, if a newborn has a fever, that's, you know, you need to go see the doctor right away. So we tell you that. How does it do this for me? So let's say my nine-year-old has a temperature of 103, which I always am like, oh God, this is really high. Yeah. So let's say that it's the middle of the night. It's three in the morning and your nine-year-old comes into your room and says, mommy, mommy, I'm not feeling well. So you pull the kids' thermometer out and you uh, get her to take her temperature. So after you take a temperature, um, usually in under 10 seconds, um, you get these professionally accurate results. And with a few simple taps, you can input symptoms. So the product remembers for you um, how the illness started and progressed. So you can share that with your doctor later or with a caretaker, your babysitter, for example. You're concerned uh, that she may have some severe symptoms, and the app automatically processes that information, whether there's a high fever, what are the associated symptoms, the age of the profile, and gives you um, information. If it's cause for concern, it'll tell you. And if you want more information on that, you just tap and you can get all the sources from the medical experts themselves. Okay. So now... Now imagine that your child has a fever. Um, You're concerned that she may have caught something from one of her friends at school. So you go check the health at her school. So we have this groups feature that allows you to opt in to seeing the aggregated and anonymized health stats at your child's school. And here you see that, say, five out of 24 kids are ill. And you see in the message boards that are associated with that group that strep throat might be going around. Well, that's a little bit more cause for concern than the common cold. So, you know, you decide to talk to a medical professional. And starting uh, middle of next year, we will have a telemedicine integration that allows you to talk to a doctor right then and there, right through the app itself. Um, For now, um, it just gives you that information that will helpfully um, help you make a decision as to when, when and whether you want to go see the doctor. Right now, it's based on schools, and I know that you guys have a program with your kind of stick thermometer at schools, but could you also do this based on, like, zip code? You could, and that's part of the broader vision for Kinsa. So taking a huge step back, we didn't create the product for the product itself. We created the product in a broader mission. And our mission at Kinsa is to create a map of human health to track and thereby stop the spread of disease. We started the company with no product, with no business model, and with this mission. And we thought to ourselves, how can we begin communicating with someone who's just fallen ill to help them and simultaneously collect the data needed to track the spread of disease? And the thermometer became the most ideal point to piggyback off of. Um, The thermometer is uh, the single most ubiquitous medical product in the world. It's the first product that parents turn to um, to confirm illness, even before they call the doc or go online. 
And um, it allows us to aggregate really interesting information that will help us track um, the spread of many contagious illnesses like influenza and like other contagious illnesses. One of the challenges in dealing with information like this is it's medical data and people might be kind of worried about, you know, having their children <laughs> labeled as having some sort of awful contagious disease. How do you handle things like privacy and identifying things or identifying yeah. information? Yeah, Stacey, absolutely. It's really important to us that we engender the trust of our users. Um, it's certainly one of our highest priorities in building this product. And people are sensitive to the fact that there is health information being exchanged, and they should be. So first, we adhere to all regulations, state, local, um, and federal regulations around health information. Um, and we have a policy of never sharing anyone's individual information without their express permission. So that will never happen. But more importantly, I think it's important to understand what kind of information the user is sharing by using the product. It's really common um, health information. We're talking about fever and common symptoms, uh, things that everyone has. So it's not very sensitive information. It, we're not asking you for whether you're cancer positive, HIV positive, et cetera. We're not, there's nothing like that. It's, it's very common symptoms and it's, you know, uh, temperature readings. And second, by default, we don't actually ask you for any personal information. You don't have to create a login to use the product today. That's again, to engender the trust of the user and really help everyone to understand that what our goal is, is to aggregate population data so that we understand the spread of disease. It's not about marketing information necessarily to you. It's not about collecting your information. It's about this broader mission that will not only help you, but it'll help society as well. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. Your history is very, very interesting. You actually worked for the Clinton's Health Initiative for a while, yes? So That's right. Yeah. How did all this kind of come into being and come into place? Because it's kind of a good story. Yeah. Kinsa was really born out of my experiences there. It was born out of my frustrations. Um, in my final year there, I was there for about five years. In my final year, um, I remember being in this meeting where the, this was the final meeting to allocate almost $200 million um, to curb, stop, or prevent the spread of disease. This was a major funder in, that, in the global health world. And I remember being in this meeting and seeing uh, some of the people that were providing input. And I remember there was an expert in malaria that stood up and said, you know, there are 280 million cases of malaria in the world, and here's where they are. And I remember the next expert, which was a professor at a major Ivy League institution, um, stood up and said, uh, there are over a billion cases of malaria in the world, and here's where they are. And I thought to myself, wow, you have no idea. We're talking about a more than three-factor difference in the projections that you're providing. And it became really clear that um, the world doesn't have that system to really understand where and when does this disease is sp spreading in real time. I was really, really frustrated. And, uh, I'm not the most patient person in the world, but I was increasingly frustrated. And I remember I pulled out my phone because I, I thought to myself, man, I got, I got to get to my next meeting after this very quickly. And I, I was looking at Google Maps to try and figure out how to get to my next meeting. And I'm looking at Google Maps and I'm watching him allocate money. And I'm looking at Google Maps and I'm watching him allocate money. And it struck me that we have so much real-time information for every other aspect of our lives. We know, we know what our neighbor's house costs through uh, products like Zillow and Trulia. We know, um, you know how to get downtown fastest through Google Maps and Waze. We know what our neighbor's dog is feeling like through Facebook. And yet we have almost zero information when it comes to the health situation around us. And that situation affects us intimately and directly. And um, it was a travesty. It was a complete travesty that you know, the world spends so much money. I mean, if you aggregate 
the amount of money spent on trying to curb stop or prevent the spread of illness, whether it's the flu, whether it's strep throat, whether it's croup or whooping cough or malaria, AIDS, TB or respiratory infections, when you add that up, we're talking about several GDP points of the world. I mean, we're talking a massive, massive amount of money, hundreds of billions of dollars. And so you know, how do you allocate, how do you put the resources, the drugs, the diagnostics, the vaccines that work, that we know work? How do you direct those to the people who need the most in a timely manner? That was sort of where Kinsa was born, if you will. That was the first pillar um, of how Kinsa came to be. We believe that stopping the spread of disease is one of the biggest ways to change the face of healthcare. Imagine a world in which there was no spreading disease. We also believe that the way to do that is with better information about where and when it's spreading. So you can intervene early with the drugs, the diagnostics, the vaccines, and the other products that work so you can stop it before it affects the larger community. So I still feel like you're going to have to just quarantine all the children. But um, <laughs> with that in mind, you guys have started a really interesting program where you you pass out the cheaper version. And here's where I should say that you guys have two versions of your product right now. The smart, I guess it's the Kinsa smart stick thermometer. I keep wanting to call it a thermostat. So if I do that, tell me. That is $20. And then you have the ear thermometer, which is $60. And the ear thermometer, just plop it in their ear and it goes boop, boop, boop. And it, it works. And then the smart stick is a traditional, you stick it under your tongue thermometer kind of thing. So the cheaper version is the one that you guys give out to schools. And you now have had those in schools for about 18 months in some places. Yes? That's right. So we, uh, through our fluency program, we give the Kensa smart thermometer, the stick version away. And we give it to schools around the country that are deserving of it, uh, where they are really enthusiastic about the product. And um, it's a philanthropic program. And we uh, see how those small clusters of parents use the product. And we've had about uh, nine schools that have been using it for 18 months. And then we uh, increased the size of the program this year. And we now, uh, by the end of this flu season, there'll be more than 100 schools using the product. So we're really excited about that. We have this great story. I love this story. Within a week and a half of launching this program, uh, one parent went on to their school group and posted saying, my, it was three in the morning, my child has rosy red cheeks and a fever. Should I take him to the urgent care facility? Uh, another person responded, still in the middle of the night, she, another person responded and said, my child has the same things. They had a, a rash on their face and their, and their chest. It was red and a fever. And the doctor diagnosed this as fifth disease. And he basically told us there's not much you can do, but it's highly contagious. So the first person responded and said, so no need to take them to the urgent care facility, question mark, right? So it's exactly the kind of information you need, right? She was basically saying, she was seeking information to make a decision do I need to go in right away? Is this really deeply concerning? Or can I wait till the morning to book uh, an appointment with my normal pediatrician? How do you see this stopping illness? Because that is kind of the goal, right? And then what comes next? Do you need more devices? Or is it just how do you change behaviors? Yeah, Stacy, we're just getting started. We believe that when we reach a level of penetration uh, between a quarter and a half of 1%, we will have information to detect the start, peak, and end of flu season faster and better than anyone in history on a hyper-local basis and really empowering the system to respond. Um, but to answer your question, what does this particular program do? Well, it empowers parents with information to respond early. And ultimately, we believe that that's going to result in less children that are affected. If you get your child to the doctor's office early, then it's less likely to affect other children. 
But the earlier you detect it, the earlier you are likely to stop it, whether that's affecting another person or whether that's progressing too significantly in the individual. If you guys are excited about this, um, you can get a Kinsa thermometer in Target. You can get both kinds. You can get the $20 stick in CVS stores, I believe. Um, you can buy both on Amazon. And if you're interested in the fluency program, how could they get involved with something like that? Or is that just you've got to convince your school? Well, if you're excited about the product and you are somebody who would be enthusiastic about telling other parents at your child's school about it, we'd love for you to apply to Fluency. It's kinsahealth.com forward slash Fluency, and you can apply there, and you'll have someone from Kinsa reach out to you and uh, chat with you about the demographics of your school, and um, if it fits the program, uh, we'd love to launch it there. That'd be great. Okay, and this, this works on both iOS and Android? It does, yes. Uh, the, 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 the stick thermometer is a wired product that connects via the headphone jack and works on iOS um, and Android. And the uh, ear thermometer is a wireless product that communicates via Bluetooth um, to your phone. Oh my gosh, what happens if the iPhone takes away the headphone jack? Oh, it's a good question. We have some, we have some plans to, uh, to, to account for that. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, because that, that would be dire. It would be. Um, okay. Well, Ender, now I know who to, I, who to call the first day. If that happens, I'll be like, oh my gosh, Ender, tell me plan B. Okay. <laughs> well, gosh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am excited and I cannot wait to find out kind of what happens with more data and kind of how, how this works out, because this is one of those things. I, I will never say this word correctly, but I'm going to go for it. Epidemiology. Ah, I, I broke, I broke. Um, <laughs> how the internet of things can kind of work with public health officials in, I'm going to go for it again, epidemiology, boom, because it's just fascinating. And it's such a rich mine of kind of data and how all of this will help with public health. So thank you for sharing, Inder. Stacey, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week on the IOT podcast. Thank you.